Well, good morning again. It's so good to see all of you here. Obviously, we're in the middle of a series about emotions. Uh, Patrick set it up last week with some introductory teaching on it, and today we're going to talk about anxiety. Uh, Pastor Sean, next week we'll pick up the next emotion. Um, I chose to speak on anxiety. I have never preached about anxiety before. And I was doing some research about anxiety, and it said in America, over 40 million people deal with recurring anxiety. There are over 4 million people that have clinical anxiety. And I believe that all of us struggle with anxiety. Now, the men that are in here this morning would say, I don't struggle with anxiety at all. We just have a different word for it. We call it stress. (laughs) But from time to time, we all experience anxiety. And I want to look at a story in the Bible that I know is going to stir your emotions a little bit. I believe when I read these scriptures, you're going to get a little bit angry, maybe confused. um, And then at the end, hopefully, joy and peace. And I'm going to read out of Matthew 15, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And I've titled this today, God in the Narrows. God in the Narrows. Verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him, urged him, listen to what they said, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. I want to read their quote again. Send her away, for she keeps crying out. And maybe if you're suffering under anxiety, you kind of feel like that. I've been crying out, and a lot of people close to me just seem to say, send her away. Send him away. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 24. He answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And then the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. In verse 26, listen to what he says to her. He replies, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. If you're not following along in your Bible and you don't trust that the screen is really in your Bible, go to Matthew 15. I am quoting directly out of the word of God. She says to him, yes, it is, Lord. It is right. For even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. God, I pray today that you would anoint your word. And I pray 
for anyone in here who feels under the pressure and stress of fear and anxiety would leave here today free. God, I pray that you would set us free from being controlled by the emotion of anxiety. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to give you a quote, and this is very important to remember about our emotions. We all have emotions. Emotions are not bad. If someone says, you're just being emotional, say, absolutely. I have them. We have emotions. Emotions, though, do not determine your destination. And you cannot let them spoil the journey. Have you ever put your kids in the car and went on vacation? Their emotions will attempt to ruin the journey. God has a definitive plan for your life, and it's good. The destination that God has for you is bigger, it's greater, it's more spacious than anything you could have come up with on your own. But to get there, you got to put emotions in their place. They have a place, it's just not the driver's seat. And here's the beauty of the cross, and this is why this is so important, that our negative experiences and even our negative emotions can produce something beautiful. That's the beauty of the cross. Painful things, things that have hurt us, even wounds that we have, by the beauty of the cross, can turn in to something beautiful. Fear. My daughter the other day, my wife and I were in the living room. My daughter, my five-year-old daughter, was playing in the living room. And she walks up to an outlet. I have no idea why. She takes her Barbie doll's hand and tries to put it right in the outlet. And we're like, Ella, Ella, you don't yet have fear to know that you can't do that. You, you can't. She doesn't know yet. So even a negative emotion like fear can be turned into something positive. Listen, the fear of the Lord is the birthplace of wisdom. Our sadness and sorrow, we can look back on painful seasons in our life. Maybe we have to look really far back, and we can actually laugh about it. Like things that were really embarrassing that we've done or said. At the moment, we thought we were going to die, and now we could tell that story, and everybody laughs along with us. So sorrow and sadness in our past Listen to what the Bible says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, this is very easy to do after the trial. But in the middle of it, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But I want to talk to you about anxiety. Anxiety has no positive spin. There is no positive outcome from your anxiety. We look at fear, might produce wisdom. Sorrow will produce patience, but anxiety produces nothing that benefits a believer's life. Listen to this. I believe that anxiety is the enemy's number one strategy to immobilize you from pursuing God's will for your life. That's exactly what anxiety does. We start to look at a situation or even relationships 
and we determine that every outcome is bad. If I do this, it won't work out. If I pursue that relationship, I'll have rejection. If I try this, it won't be good enough. We evaluate every possible outcome, and we only see a negative result, so we're immobilized. Listen, you have been divinely created by God, not by an accident. You are called by God. You are equipped to be a powerful man or woman of God. And listen, there are not enough demons in hell, in your neighborhood, <laughs> in your family line to stop you. There are not enough intimidating people in your life to stop you. There are not enough bullies in your school or at your workplace to stop you from God's will for your life. There are not enough broken relationships in your present life to stop you from God's will. There are not enough imperfections in your personality or your appearance or your background. There is nothing out there that can stop you. Listen to Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not even spare his son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give up everything else? Who dares accuses us whom God has chosen for his own? I'm going to read that again. Who dares accuses you when God himself chose you? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who can condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life, and he is sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Let me go to verse 38. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, life, angels, demons, fears for today, worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's look, verse 21, leaving that place. So Jesus left that place and he travels into an area that Jewish people don't normally go. So he leaves the Jewish settlements and he travels, and the Bible tells us specifically where, into a very narrow place. Now we know where Jesus is going next and we know where Jesus was coming from. And it's as if his GPS was not working because there is no sensible reason for him to go this way. There's no reason for him to travel into this land where people reject Jews, where Jews reject them, and they've been fighting for decades. There's no reason for Jesus to go there. The only person we know that Jesus encountered and touched was this woman. 
was this Canaanite woman. So he travels this narrow way. And here's what she says. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She's saying, Lord, son of the Jews. Your king of the Jews. Your God, you're just not my God. Lord of all the Jews, son of David, who was maybe your greatest king. Your God, you're just not my God. Have mercy on me. And the disciples' response is, sent her away, and Jesus says, I was only sent to Israel. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I wasn't sent to her. The key to overcoming anxiety is understanding your identity. My 16-year-old son, he has his driver's license, he has a job, he has his own checking account, and all those things scare me. <laughs> all those things produce anxiety. <laughs> so he has been wonderful about telling us where he's going and coming home on time until last week. His curfew is 11 o'clock, and he texted me a few minutes after 10, and he said, Dad, I'm going to be late because I need to take a buddy home first. And I texted him back, and I said, no way. Either take him home now, or he has to find his own ride. I'm not kidding you, 15 minutes later, he's like, okay, Dad, but... Can I please be out late? Because I have a friend who's going out of town and doing different things, and I'm not going to see them for like a month. And I was like, no. No way. And then at like 10.55, <laughs> I get a text. Dad, I'm going to be late. The waitress at the restaurant was really slow in giving me my bill. My reaction was yours. I was angry. I was like, twice you asked me if you could be late. I clearly said no. And yet, at the last minute you're telling me, oh, because of someone else, I'm gonna be home late. So I sent him a text and I said, completely unacceptable, you're grounded, and your curfew has been knocked down 30 minutes. And I go into my bedroom, and I tell my wife all about the situation, turn out the lights, and I lay in bed. And in my mind, I'm just getting angry, and more angry, and more angry. If you're a teenager in here, this is how a parent's mind, or at least mine, works. <laughs> and I start playing out, how can I punish him so he'll never do this again? <laughs> and the answer is, there is no such punishment. We wish there was. 
And I thought, what words or what example? And, and I hear his car pull in a driveway. And I hear his car door shut. I hear the garage door go up. I hear it close. I hear him come up the stairs, walk down the hallway, open my bedroom door, and look in. Now, he thinks that we're already asleep. I'm just too mad to say anything yet. <laughs> and about the time I formulate a really good line to say, he shuts the door, goes in the bathroom, brushes his teeth, gets ready for bed, and goes down to his room. Now, I say something that I regret, but I turn to my wife, and I said, no way. I'm going down there, and I'm going to yell at him. <laughs> so, so I go downstairs. I go into his room. I open his bedroom door, and he's in bed, and he's crying. And I think he's crying because his curfew got knocked down 30 minutes. <laughs> And I thought of that line that my parents told me, and I'm sure their parents told them, and their parents told them, and I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> and I say to him, kind of in a stern voice, I said, Jace, why are you crying? As if that helps. And he says, Dad, I'm so scared that now you don't trust me. I'm so scared that you think I tricked and manipulated you. I'm so sorry. I'm telling you every ounce of anger I had. <laughs> now I became the guilty one in the room. <laughs> and I said, oh, Jace, I, I am so sorry. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you better not miss this moment, Joel. Because for a second, my son's identity in our home was being messed with. He felt like his relationship with his dad changed because of a mistake that he made. He felt uneasy. And it was the first step of many steps, obviously, that it takes for him to begin to separate from us. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I didn't say it, but in that moment, I felt this word, no. No. Not in my house. No. My kids will know who they are. My kids will know there is nothing they can do to separate them from their identity with me. There is nothing you can do. I got in bed with my son. I put my hand on his chest and I said, JC boy, you are wonderful. I love you so much. I cherish you. You are the best son ever. You mean so much to me. My grace would outshout his mistake. My acceptance would far outdo his mistake and that is heaven for you there is nothing you can do there is no mistake there is no personality defect that you have that separates you from God and listen I am not your daddy 
but I got the microphone right now. And I say this. I say this over your life. No. No way are you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, going to have a mistaken identity. You are his. You are absolutely his. Nothing can separate us from what God has. And this lady says, you're God. You're just not mine. And Jesus actually echoes what she says. And Jesus actually echoes what the disciples are saying. Listen to David in Psalms 139. He says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is crazy trusting God to say a prayer like that. God, search me and know me. When we make mistakes, what do we do? We hide. But David, who fully in this moment understood the heart of God, says, God, search me and know me. Because you don't apply a penalty, you apply grace. So the woman then came and knelt before him, and she says, Lord, help me. She changes. Lord, help me. So it's no longer your king of the Jews. In front of all of her people, in front of these Canaanite people who have been battling Jews for centuries, they have been sworn enemies for years. She goes up before a Jewish man and kneels in front of him and says, you're my Lord. Creating the rejection of all of her own people. Her neighbors see what she just did. Her coworkers see what she just did. Her family members realize what she just did. This Canaanite woman goes before a Jewish man and kneels and says, Lord, help me. If we're going to live free from anxiety, we have to come to terms with the reality of rejection. We can't escape rejection. We have to come to terms with it. My kids will face rejection. It won't be from me. It won't be from my wife. It won't be from heaven. But they'll face it from someone at some time. There's no escape. And this is the thing about anxiety, is it desires to always escape rejection. And when we do that, oftentimes we're rejecting God's call and will on our lives. Some people do not like you. Some people will never like you. Some people will reject you no matter what you say or what you do. Some of you have bosses that will never promote you, even though you deserve it. Some people in your life will never treat you with respect. There are people in your life that will never treat you with dignity. They're there. And as much as we want out of those situations, and that's our knee-jerk reaction, to be free from those people. I just want to be free from toxic people. 
possibly, if we can learn to stand in the face of rejection, we can bring healing and minister to those people. A few years ago, I worked in management at a retail store. One day, human resource called me and said, we need to talk to you. You know that's never a good thing. And I sit in the human resource office, and I'm sitting across from the HR manager, and he says, I have a few complaints about you that we need to discuss. And he said, here's the first one. And I thought, my goodness, how many are there? <laughs> and he said, number one, did you tell one of your employees who was struggling with a situation that you would pray for her? You, you told her that you would pray for her. You don't know her faith. You don't know her background. But you offered to pray with her, not knowing her background or anything like that. And I, I was about to answer, and he just held up his hand and stopped me. And he says, no, 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 I want to go to the next one. And he said, did you or did you not have an employee whose son had been gone for days, came home, and wouldn't tell his parents where he had been, and he's done this two or three times. Did you not give them the advice that they ought to get their family together, go to church together, and pursue life in Christ? Did you tell them that? And I was about to respond, and as soon as I started to, he held out his hand. And he had four or five situations like this, and I was getting angry. I was getting mad. And every time I tried to say something, he just held up his hand. And at one point, he said, whatever you say, I have to put down. So I just want you to listen. And he went through these list of things. And it was a manila folder, and he closed it, and he put it to the side. And he said, Joe, I need you to listen to me. He's like, you have done nothing wrong. And he said, as a matter of fact, we need you to keep doing what you're doing. We knew when we hired you that you were a minister. We love that you're a minister. And before we hired you, we said we would love it if he would pastor this group. And I'm sitting across from someone who's not a believer. And I'm working for a company that's not a Christian company. And he's saying, I need you to do exactly what you've been doing. Then he said this. He said, but I got to tell you something. If you go up to one of these employees and you reference our conversation today, if you go back and try to clarify your position with them, if you say, hey, I talked to HR and I wanted to talk to you about that, he said, we will have to terminate you immediately because that will be seen as retaliation. And in that moment, I felt empowered by what he said and I felt helpless by what he said. I had both of these emotions going on at the same time. Keep doing what you're doing, but you can say nothing to ever defend yourself. He became my defender. And listen, one of the hardest things that you will ever do is allow Christ to be your defender. But if we're really going to escape 
fear and anxiety. That's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to feel empowered by the cross, empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach people. But we've got to be ready for rejection. It can be an innocent post on Facebook that you make, and then it shows up in your comment section. It could be simply saying, hey, I'll pray for you at work, and somebody overhears that. And from now on, they no longer want to sit by you. They no longer want to associate with you. At the first point of rejection, we all want to defend ourselves. But you know, that only gets us in more trouble. And it's oftentimes the person that is rejecting you that it's not about. The disciples are completely rejecting this lady. This journey is not about the disciples. The disciples are rejecting her and saying, send her away. She's annoying. Send her out. Listen, your God doesn't send hurting people away. That's not his nature. Jesus says, it's not about the critic. It's about the person in the narrow. It's about the person that's in the narrows. And listen, you cannot defend yourself well enough. And it's not about the person that's offended with you. It's about everyone else. It's about everyone else at work that knows you're a believer, and now you're being attacked for it, and they want to watch how you respond. They want to know, is it really real? What are they going to do now? How are they going to respond? Is it anger? Is it saying, well, I'm done with you? Is it finding a new company, finding better neighbors, Finding better Facebook friends. At least you can delete and add those real quick. That's a little easier to do. I mean, what is our response? What is our response? It's the cross. It's heaven. You can't defend you. Guess what? You have a much greater defender. It's the cross. And so in these last few verses, he talks about bread. Why, why is Jesus talking about bread? It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She says, yes it is. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus is creating this picture or this analogy with bread. Now, do you know where Jesus is headed next? He's getting ready to go and teach for several days, and he realizes that the crowd is hungry. This is where Jesus heads next. And he turns to his disciples, and he says, they're hungry, feed them. And the disciples say this. This is right after the story in the Bible. The disciples say, there's not enough bread to feed this crowd. There's no way that we could ever feed this crowd. There's not enough bread. Now, that was not an analogy. That was a fact. Right before the situation with this lady, Jesus is using bread as the analogy. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Is there enough? Is God enough? Anxiety ultimately says that God is not fully God. 
God is not fully powerful. God is not fully loving. God must not be fully knowing. If he was, I wouldn't be in this situation. If God really loved me, if God really cared for me, why did he make me like this? Why does he make me think like this? Why do I behave like this? Why do I constantly get in these kind of relationships? I mean, if God was fully God, how come? And this is what anxiety does. And that's where it wants you to get, to say that God is not fully God. And the disciples, out of their mouth, they're saying, she's not yours. God, there's only so much to go around. You are not fully God. And they too are saying, you are God of us, but not them. And listen, in a few chapters, Jesus is about to pick two of them to be missionaries to proclaim the goodness of the gospel to this very land. It's about to happen. And Jesus is setting them up to say, there is enough. Hope is the only unwavering, undeniable, unrelenting response in the face of your anxiety. Just a slimmer of hope. I mean, just allow a little bit of hope in your heart. That's all it takes. There is enough bread. She's like, I don't need a loaf. I just need a crumb. I only need a little bit of you, Jesus. I only need a touch. I don't even need it for me. I just need you to touch my daughter. I just need a small touch. Jesus, on purpose, left the Jewish countryside, traveled into this narrow place. He only did one miracle there. There's only one person that he ministered to, and it's this woman. The only reason he was there was to touch this woman. I have a close friend. Tells me the story about how his family come to, came to know the Lord. This friend of mine grew up in an abusive home. His dad was verbally, physically abusive. And he refused to go to church. And he told his family, I refuse to allow you to go to church. And mom just continued to beg. She's like, honey, we have kids. Maybe they'll behave better if we take them to church. Please, can we take them to church? And he said, I will never go inside a church. I will never. And I forbid you to go to church. My kids are not going to be deceived. This mom just kept asking. And finally, she wore down her husband and he said, I will take you to church. Get the kids. Everyone get in the car. I will drive you to church. Get out and go inside that church. I'm going to park my car in the parking lot. And as soon as church is over, I want you to immediately get back in the car and we go home. And my friend tells me the story about how the whole way to church, his dad would mock his mom. And then he would turn to the kids and say, and I hope you never turn out like her. He'd drop them off. He'd park his car in the church parking lot. He'd roll his windows down, light up his cigarette, turn on his radio, and listen to the pregame show before the football game started at noon. Just sat in the parking lot. And he did this week after week after week 
And after church, they would get in his car. And again, he would insult his wife and the kids and make fun of them for the desire to go to church. Sunday after Sunday. Well, it was the end of the football season. He dropped off the kids and his wife. They went inside the church. He parked his car, lit his cigarette, turned on the radio, and started to go through the AM dial. And he found a preacher. And he thought, I'm going to listen to this nonsense just so I have some content to mock them with. And he listened to that preacher. And then before they came out, he hurried and turned off the radio. They got in the car and he mocked them the whole way home. But the next Sunday, he did the same thing. He pulled into the parking lot, turned on the preacher, and listened. After several weeks of doing this, he started to realize something. I am listening to a live broadcast of the very church that I'm sitting in their parking lot. And as he listens to this preacher, he says, I don't know who I'm talking to. But no matter what you've experienced, that is not God. Whatever pain, whatever rejection, whatever abuse, that is not your God. Whatever fear and anxiety is in your heart and driving your life and making decisions for you, that is not God. God is bigger, God is higher, and God is greater. And he says, if that's you, Get out of your seat and come to the front of this church. This guy turns off his car, opens his car door, flicks his cigarette down, and runs. He runs to the front door of that church, tears in his eyes, throws open the doors, doesn't even know how to find the sanctuary, finds an usher, and he said, the preacher is talking about me. They bring him in. He runs up front at the altar gives his heart to Jesus Christ, and is completely saved and delivered from years of rejection and pain, he turns to his family and says, get up here. His wife and all the kids come up front, and there on that Sunday, in that moment, all of them become believers in Jesus Christ. Listen, there is enough bread. <laughs> There's enough. Whatever your situation, and no matter what degree of anxiety, there's enough. There's enough for you. If you're not a believer and you're in here, there's enough. I mean, God takes us just like we are. If he didn't, then he's not fully God. I mean, if we got to fix ourselves first, in some ways we must be our own God. That's just not true. Just like we are. This woman's daughter is healed. And she leaves a believer. And her entire village, doesn't she become the most and strongest voice in her community that Jesus is God? And I want to encourage you today, if you deal with anxiety, I want to be sensitive to that. If you feel overwhelmed with anxiety, I want to be sensitive to that. But I want to tell you, in Jesus Christ, you can be free. The word salvation that we use in the New Testament, it actually means whole. Is that you can be whole. 
I'm going to pray with you. God, I pray right now for anyone in here who feels overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. I pray specifically for anyone who feels that anxiety controls their decisions. There's things that they want to do that they don't do because of fear and anxiety. And there's things that they don't do. God, I pray right now that we would be free from it in Jesus' name. I pray first that we would know our identity in Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. You loved us so much that you split the divide between heaven and earth and came down on our behalf. Jesus Christ, you came, you lived, you died, and you rose again for us. That's the price for us, and you paid it. You take all the broken and dislocated pieces and you fit them back together in vibrant harmonies, all because of your blood that flowed down from the cross. And God, I pray for anyone in here this morning that feels stuck in the narrows, who feels stuck in a place that God can't reach. I pray right now that any area of our lives that we feel like God can't touch that. I mean, he's God, but he's not the God of this situation. I mean, he's God up there, but I don't know if he's God in here. I pray that be broken over you now in Jesus' name. He is your God, and he is mighty to save. I pray that we would be overwhelmed of your goodness and your power, that you are all-powerful, and God, you are all good. God, I pray that you would equip us, you would gift us, and you would tool us to stand in the face of rejection. There is something heaven needs you to say and do no matter who rejects you. And I pray that we would be inspired and fired for the purposes of heaven. We would feel the fire of heaven. I've got to share this. I don't care what anyone says. I've got to be the thing that God has created me to be above all else. And I pray, above all, that we would step into a deep place of intimacy with you in Jesus' name.